Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. She is Stephanie McNeil, and you are watching AM to DM. Stephanie, I am beyond excited to be here co-hosting with you. As am I with you, Alex. For those of you who don't know, Alex is our line producer on the show. So we all here know and love her, obviously, but you guys may not have been able to see her as much as you like. So I'm so excited for you to step out from behind the wings and into the spotlight as you have always Thank you, meant thank to you. be, I think. Well, here's the thing. Normally I'm in the control room during the show and my job is actually that I'm in the earpiece of the host telling them to move along, to wrap up the segment, to ask another question. And so this is a nice role reversal, if you will, for me. Yeah, so basically I'm going to spend the entire show just looking at her being like, rap, you're going too long, rap, rap. It's, it's, it's a little bit bullying, honestly. It's true. I want to express myself. I want to get all my opinions out there. I want to opine. And Alex is always telling me, Stephanie, rap, no one wants rap. to hear you. I know. Now you can just call. <laughs> well, uh, the funny thing is that at this point, I really should be keeping track of time myself out here. But I've just come to accept that um, I'm not going to be able to stay on time. I'm not running on time. I'm going to have to listen to the producer. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. She says we're doing great. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. We have Emily in our ear now. We love you. OK, so. Alex, I started a little bit of a tradition when Hayes co-hosted for the first time that first co-host, first time co-hosts always have to play two truths and a lie to get let our audience get to know you a little bit better. So are you ready to play a little I, game? I game. Okay. Let the people know something about me. Okay, great. So if you've been living under a rock, two truths and a lie, she's going to tell us three things and one of them is a lie and you guys have to guess. So take it away. Okay. So here are my two truths and a lie in no particular order. The first one is this. I grew up in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. Hmm, okay. I play roller derby. All and right. finally, the third one, one of my favorite foods is peanut butter. What is true? What is a lie? You're gonna have to decide. I think I know, but I'm not gonna say anything. I'm gonna keep my lips sealed. And we are tweeting out a poll right now about Alex's two truths and a lie. Which one's the lie? Loyal AM to DM viewers, I hope you can get it. Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. And welcome, Alex. She's, she's doing great Thank so you. far. Thank you. Google me. Maybe you'll find something out. Google me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like, Google me. Yeah, that's just what you say. That's yeah. just what you say. If you get them right, you will get my love and affection for all of time. But other than that, there is no prize. You Maybe you might get a gift or something. I don't know. All right, ready to start the show? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Here's a tweet from Peter Alexander of NBC News. The lawyer for Kavanaugh accuser tells the Today Show Christine Ford is willing to testify publicly before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Says Ford believes alleged attack was, quote, attempted rape. Christine Blasey Ford came forward over the weekend in an article in the Washington Post as the subject of the sensitive letter against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. Let's go live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod to talk about this story. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning. Paul, you've been following this story closely. How are Senate Judiciary members reacting to this news? Well, we're starting to pull those reactions just now, and that's what's going to be really interesting. We have had Lindsey Graham, who, of course, is a Republican, who said he is willing to hear her out and would be interested in having her come to testify. Uh, mostly Democrats have been calling for delaying the hearing process and like the votes on actually confirming Kavanaugh. Uh, but it's been a lot of radio silence. We haven't heard yet from a lot of people like Jeff Flake and Ben Sass, these Republicans who have potential presidential uh, aspirations who are in a delicate spot of how they handle this. 
so obviously the hearings have already concluded. So what would this new testimony hearings look like? Is this something that's happened before? Oh, I mean, they could bring her. Yeah, the committee can do whatever it wants. So they could bring her in. They're supposed to vote on Thursday at the committee level. So, I mean, they could bring her in Tuesday or Wednesday and uh, just add it to the agenda and have her come to speak to them. And they could do it. It's also worth noting they could do it publicly or privately. So, you know, behind closed doors. Well, how has the White House responded to all of this? They have been full steam ahead, essentially. I mean, it's been interesting because with this woman actually coming forward now, uh, not only do we have a name and a face to these allegations, which we did not have before, but we've also got her uh, corroborating evidence, such as her talking about uh, and actually bringing forward notes from therapy sessions from 2012 where she talked about it. She did a lie detector test, a polygraph test, and passed it. So these are a lot more credible now than when it was just an anonymous accuser, and we didn't really know all of the details about what was happened and who it was involving. But it hasn't changed the White House's stance one bit. They are continuing to push forward and say Kavanaugh is absolutely innocent. Uh, they're trying to say this is a Democratic smear campaign. They put out a strange message about how if Kavanaugh goes down, then like every man should be worried. I mean, they are, they are undeterred completely by this. That's a very interesting take. Every man should be worried. Hmm. So yeah. what would a delay look like and who is calling for a delay? Uh, so the Democrats overwhelmingly are calling to slow this down, let's push back the votes and uh, hear from this woman, gather more evidence. Republicans, I would bet, are not going to do this because the fear for Republicans is if they push it to after the election and they lose the Senate, well, then Democrats would be able to gain. You'd either have to slam it through before the turnover, which would look terrible, or you'd risk Democrats blocking the nomination. So they want to get this done as soon as possible. There's a lot of pressure from the top, from the White House, for them to get this done. Now, as this news was uh, breaking, there was this letter of 65 women uh, who signed it vouching, uh, you know, for Brett Kavanaugh. Um, this letter, it was really striking how quickly it came together. And I saw that BuzzFeed actually has some reporting about how it came together just, uh, you know, in such a short amount of time. Um, Paul, what do we know about that? Yeah, a lot of people found it suspicious, uh, saying that, that 65 signatories to this letter were were released, I mean, pr very quickly after this became public. And people assumed that this was had already been done and they were just saving it, that they, that they knew allegations were coming and they were ready to head it off. That's actually not the case. So what happened was uh, there were a lot of reporters who were, or I don't know if there were a lot, but there were some reporters who were following this letter and The Intercept actually wrote a story about the existence of the letter. And at the time it was all very vague and sort of cloak and dagger, but it revealed that there was a letter. At that point, some friends of Brett Kavanaugh, who from way back in the day, decided to start this letter writing campaign and try to get a bunch of people to support him. And uh, we called a bunch of them and everyone heard from a friend. It was this network of people from basically Bethesda, Maryland area, who all sort of contacted each other. And 48 hours, I think it was later, when the allegations were actually fully revealed, that's by then they had sort of gotten the, uh, they'd gotten enough people together so that they had this massive amount of names and were ready to go. That's so interesting that this whole community of people came together to stand behind this one man yeah. in face of the allegations, which are very serious. So what has it been like? You've been following this story from the very beginning and reporting on this secret letter that's now no longer secret. What's it like for you as a reporter? 
It's been interesting because for a long time we thought that this just was never going to come out. You know, like the the woman uh, for a while did not want to talk to any reporters and. I mean, so we weren't really able to write anything about this because uh, because of that. And it just looked like this was something that, despite our efforts, was never going to come to public attention. And then things just changed very quickly. And now here we are one week later, and she, I mean, we could see her coming to testify before before Congress. So it's been a remarkable turnaround on this story. Of course, the question now is, is this ultimately going to matter? Is this something that could derail the Kavanaugh nomination? And these next few days are going to be the key for watching that. It's definitely been a very interesting weekend in terms of this nomination and this story. We're definitely going to keep an eye on it, but we have a little bit more news this morning. Here's a tweet from The Atlantic. Hillary Clinton writes, I don't use the word crisis lightly. There are no tanks in the streets, but our democratic institutions and traditions are under siege. So that's from an op-ed published last night in The Atlantic, adapted from the afterword of Clinton's book, What Happened. Okay, Paul, I have a really pressing question for you. Oh, please. Can we ever be <laughs> done with the 2016 please election? Please make it end, Paul. Is this going to end? No, no. It's never, it's never going to happen. The best, the, the thing I loved the most about the the intro to the Clinton op-ed was just like, you know, it was two years since uh, Trump won enough electoral college votes to become president. Like, oh, still litigating the fact that he couldn't win the public vote. Uh, no, no. Like a hundred years from now, the great grandchildren of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are still going to be on whatever future Twitter is, arguing back and forth about the validity of the Trump election. This is just how we're going to have to live until we die. Paul, sorry to break it to you like that. I am so damn tired of all of this, but uh, are there any consequences of this actual piece that she wrote? No, I mean, it's uh, it was an interesting piece uh, if you're a person who follows politics really closely. I think for the average person, they kind of know Hillary Clinton's views on the Trump administration, and uh, she's not a fan, as suffice to say. She's not a fan. Well, thank you, Paul, for I joining. I think knew that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. Thanks. All right, up next, we'll talk about the latest on Hurricane Florence and that New York Magazine profile on Soon Yi. Woo, nice quite a Monday morning, yes! I'm having such a good time already and feeling so affirmed by all of your tweets. Thank you. Who says that Twitter has to be a cesspool? I'm getting so much love. Uh, Pixmaven tweeted, I'm gonna say the lie is peanut butter of my two truths and a lie, and I'm gonna say, I'll never tell. You have to watch until the end of the show. You'll tell at the end of the show. The end of the show. I know. I kind of am feeling inspired. Maybe I will dye my hair to a cool color too, so we can match for tomorrow. That Just would be kidding. I'm way phenomenal. too phenomenal. Yeah. I wish. I wish I could though. You're doing work. great job. So it is far. work out here. This bleached head of hair. Let me tell you. I know. I feel like you need to do. We need to do a whole segment just about your hair and its amazingness and its maintenance and its upkeep. But unfortunately, we have other things we have to talk about. Moving on to some news from the Carolinas. Hurricane Florence drenched the area this weekend, leaving at least 17 people dead and tons of damage in its wake. And officials say the storm's impact will likely get even worse due to how slow it is moving. As BBC Weather tweeted, Florence may well have weakened, but it's still producing some very heavy rainfall and warnings remain in force for further flash flooding across North Carolina and West Virginia. 
BuzzFeed News reporter Zara Hirji tweeted yesterday, I've spent the past 24 hours embedded with FEMA's Nebraska Task Force Unit 1 during their response to Florence in and around Fayetteville in North Carolina. That unit rescued more than 120 seniors and people with disabilities from the rising floodwaters. She's still with them as we speak, so we have our science guru Dan Fergano here to talk about the storm. How's it going, Dan? Uh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm uh, glad I'm not in the storm. Oof, for real. Well, Me too. Dana, how dire was the situation for the people in this assisted living facility? Right, so I was talking to Zara while she's uh, putting together the piece for this, and the situation for those people was, wasn't dire, and that was the point. Uh, they were freaking out, uh, FEMA guys, because they didn't want uh, repeat of situations in past hurricanes where they were having to pull these people out while there's water uh, up to their waist, uh, and uh, they're trying to get people in wheelchairs out of the nursing home. So it was um, uh, busy and tense. Uh, they could only get two people in a wheelchair on a bus, per bus, uh, and they had to get 60 people in wheelchairs out of this place because it was actually three nursing homes all come together to try and get away from the storm. Uh, but overall, it was more of a uh, better safe than sorry, let's hurry up and get this done a day ahead of time before things get bad situation. But, you know, we have the memory of the past bad ones sort of in our minds. Yeah, I mean, that's always a good thing. It's good to know they've learned from past hurricanes. And Zara's piece is very, very good. I encourage everyone to read it. We'll be tweeting it out. But Dan, I want to move along to some of the specifics of the storm. I think a lot of something that people are confused about is the fact that Florence has gotten a lot weaker. It's now a tropical depression, but people are saying the worst of the storm is yet to come. Can you explain why that is? Uh, well, the rivers are cresting. I mean, the FEMA guys actually now, Zara's with, are really uh, at their most tense uh, because the river levels are expected to, to get at their highest uh, today and tomorrow in places like the Cape Fear River and the Lumber River. Uh, and that means that banks are overflowing when they, the water's the highest. And also they got to have concern about things like dams uh, breaching. Uh, there's dams near Fayetteville where Zara is right now that they're going on surveying and they're concerned about uh, as well, there's places further out. Uh, Charlottesville has a flash flood warning. Uh, Shenandoah Valley, where the rain is falling now, it's, it's hitting. They have similar concerns. Um, this thing is just playing out over a couple days, and it's a lot of water. And anywhere the water can concentrate and you can have floods, uh, people can get hurt. Dan, you mentioned people can get hurt. You mentioned that these rivers are cresting. Um, what is some of the specific damage like from the flooding? Um, well, you have, like, subdivisions that are, like, you know, uh, wiped out. The the uh, houses are filled with water. Um, you have people who you know can't get to their homes. Their homes are uh, inundated. The rivers are, are highways are cut off. You you know essentially Wilmington is like isolated. You know and from the rest it's an island at this point. Um, and so uh, you have basically a repeat of Hurricane Matthew, just only worse. Uh, there have been spills of uh, coal ash ponds. Uh, that's terrible for the environment. Uh, not good for the drinking water. That sort of thing. And, you know, there's uh, people who have uh, died, you know, all kinds of ways in this, um, this disaster, you know, from trees falling on them to uh, being electrocuted. You know, all kinds of horrible things happen in these storms. Yes, people have been evacuated for a few days at this point, but it's still not safe for them to go home, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the classic way to die. Somebody goes back too soon. Uh, drives their car into a, a water that's deeper than they think. The car gets st stuck. They're trying to get out, and there's a flash flood because of a dam, you know, something like a dam breach, or just you know the water finally arrives at the crest, and they're stuck there. And then you know then they either have to do a water rescue or the people you know die. 
So this is like not the time to relax. You really want to wait till you know FEMA and their authorities say, you know, go back now. Dan, do you have a sense of how time-consuming and how long uh, the recovery will take? How expensive it'll be? Uh, they'll do the um, estimates. You know, the next couple of days. Uh, the typically, you know, it's billions of dollars uh, for this sort of thing. And what's worse is that this is a part of the country that was smacked by Hurricane Matthew not long ago, and a lot of the places still haven't recovered from that. So, uh, you know, whatever efforts they were making to recover from that previous storm have been wiped out by this. Um, and so you're going to have to add those costs in from, you know, previous year's storms. It's, it's, it's going to be a multi-billion dollar disaster. Well, that's definitely unfortunate. And we will be keeping everyone in the Carolinas in our thoughts and paying attention to the coverage. Dan, thank you so much for coming on and explaining this to us. You bet. Take care. New York Magazine has published a lengthy profile of Sunni Previn, Mia Farrow's adopted daughter who is married to Woody Allen. It's the first time she's speaking out about the allegations against Allen and the Me Too movement. New York Magazine tweeted, Once, she was seen as a victim. Now Sunni is ending her silence and telling her side of the story. And the story has not been well received. Kate Sullivan gets at the core criticism with this tweet. And here's the exact moment this article loses all credibility with a screenshot of the quote, I myself have been friends with Alan for over four decades. Yeah, so that quote is actually from the author of the piece, which as a journalist kind of raises our eyebrows for sure. Can you talk a little bit about the piece and what uh, the response has been? Yeah, well, as I mentioned before, this is one of the first times that Sunni has really come forward to tell her story. In this piece, she recounts uh, the first time that she really spent time with Woody Allen when she was in the 11th grade. And, and she really comes out strong against Mia Farrow, who had been her adopted mother. And, uh, and like you said, a lot of people have really taken umbrage bridge uh, with the fact that someone who was close to the couple wrote the story about them. Yeah, I mean, it's very remarkable. I mean, over the past almost 30 years, Suyin has never come out and said anything really about her relationship with Woody Allen. Um, and we also have Ronan Farrow and a bunch of his siblings, Dylan Farrow, who has accused Woody Allen of molesting her. They have all put out statements against the piece saying it's trash, basically. Um, but I think the main criticism of the piece is the fact that this woman says multiple times throughout the piece that she has been friends with Woody Allen for years. And she gives Sudian the, uh, the, agency to kind of lay it all out and not um, really give any other perspective to her words. She just is able to make a lot of accusations against Mia Farrow without there being any sort of back, any sort of response from Mia. I think she tried to reach out to her, but it's very one-sided, I think, is the main criticism. It's really one-sided, and you know we're in such a sensitive moment when it comes to all of these Me Too stories. You know, over the past year, we see the accusations come out again and get uh, you know attention in the press, these accusations against Woody Allen. And we've also seen in recent weeks the wives of people who are accused, the wives of men who are accused, um, you know, really having their own reckoning in the media. And I think that, uh, you know, as a culture, we haven't really figured out uh, what to do with, with these women and with some of their stories. And I think we haven't really reckoned with if they're complicit or not, you know, if they have to answer for the things that their husbands have done. And so for me, this is, you know, another instance in which another one of these stories is coming out. Uh, someone connected to the accusations is in the media. And it's just really complicated. And 
I keep on reminding myself that we're all in this moment together. We're all still figuring out how to navigate it. Yeah, I mean, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, I mean, Soon Yi has never spoken out against this, right? Or about this, sorry. Um, and so I kind of wonder if the only way she ever would have put the story, it would be in her own words without very much backlash against it. It's possible this is the only person Soon Yi would ever have spoken to. And so is it worth it to have her words out there? I'm not sure. I mean, it's not very good journalistically, but at least now we have Sunyi's perspective to add to the conversation. I don't know, it's a hard one. It's, it's definitely a hard one. Everyone, I guess, should get to respond to these kinds of accusations. Of course, Woody Allen has denied the accusations against him as well. But what I have to say is, I've never watched a Woody Allen movie, and guess what? I'm not about to watch one now. But uh, <laughs> let's move on to some happier news, if you will. Here's a tweet from Vanity Fair that I personally am very excited about. Rihanna's next project could be furniture? Riri said last week that her dream project is her own furniture line, and I am already ready to throw out all of my IKEA. Okay, I don't just have IKEA to be clear. I know I don't wrote, judge I wrote me. that line for you, Alex. I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to imply that you. you only have IKEA. I'm sure you have very beautiful furniture in your Thank home. You. Thank you. But you seem very excited about this. Tell me. I'm very excited. You know, I have my Fenty Beauty on. I'm all about a Savage, her underwear line. And if I can bring Rihanna's aesthetic into my home, well, hell yeah, I'm gonna buy it. I'm just like, take my credit card, take my money. I want your furniture. I'm not gonna say that I'm skeptical. Obviously, I love Rihanna. All of her stuff is great. I guess I'm just having a little bit of a hard time visualizing what Fenty furniture would look like. I feel like with her other stuff, it's very clear what like her lingerie line would look like in my mind. But I'm like, I really want like the nuts and bolts here. Are we talking about like sectionals or are we talking about like wallpaper, wall art, maybe some like accent tables? Like get behind an accent table. I'll take a footrest. I'll take Rihanna wallpaper. I'll take it all. But she has an amazing aesthetic. If you've ever seen her fashion line, it's really fabulous. If you've seen her makeup, I, I trust her not just because she's Rihanna and her music is wonderful, but also because she has really great style. I've never seen her home though. But the, I, have, I have another question is, will I actually be able to afford it? Because we know some of the criticism behind Fenty Beauty is that it is a high price point. Obviously, it's hard to make a high quality product at a low price, but you know, if it's like a $3,000 couch, I'm One sorry, day, maybe I, I'm a little Rihanna. SOL. One day, maybe you'll get Rihanna for Target. Ooh, now that would go crazy. That would be insane. Well, some of you are super hyped, like Alex, TV Nisha tweeted, Rihanna wants to drop a furniture line. Okay, I'm gonna live my best life in my Fenty home, wearing Fenty clothes, lingerie, shoes, and makeup. All of this while dancing and listening to Fenty music, a whole mood. But some people are wondering what this all means for Rihanna the musician. Veda Drew tweeted, when R9 drops in 2060, the kids born today will question shit like, wait, Rihanna from Fenty Froyo and Fenty Furniture makes music? Yeah, it's really interesting. I feel like she's following the path of like P. Diddy, who is a mogul now with a billion different products and kind of drops a song maybe every five years. He'll like do a verse on a song every once in a while. Um, but is it, I don't know, is that her thing or is she gonna be mogul status? She's gonna well, focus on her other businesses? I, I would say, I think that Rihanna might already be a little bit of mogul status. She actually, True. she is working on an album. Right. It's reportedly, it's a reggae album. Um, but you know, I'm really here for women musicians. Uh, you know, expanding their talent, um, really making a legacy for themselves in the business because I feel like the music business can be really flaky and sometimes it's hard to, uh, you know, give yourself a career that has long, some, some longevity. 
Totally, totally. I mean, I, I'm all for her turning herself into a mogul. I think that's awesome. But it will be a little sad if, you know, this reggae album might be, you know, her one of her last ones or if she stops focusing on music. But she can probably do both. Women can do more than men can, so why can't she do both? Right? Right. <laughs> well, we want to hear from you guys. Are you into Fenty furniture? And what would you like to see Riri make next? How about that Fenty Froyo? I don't know. Sounds like a good idea. Tweet us I using wanna... the hashtag am to dm well, we have a great show for you today. Chantal is sitting down with actress and producer Lynn Whitfield, but up next, it is the moment I have been waiting for. I can't wait to push the fire tweets button. Stay tuned. Fire! Fire! I truly feel like this is my bat mitzvah of hosting AM to DM. Yes, My coming of destiny. age moment is doing fire tweets. I'm excited to see how you push that button because I get some comments sometimes for how delicately I do it. Haters gonna hate. You push that button no, you I wanna don't push think that it, button, I actually don't think it's a hater. I think that they enjoy my life. They like your delicacy. Well, I do wanna bring up this tweet that we got from a lunatic Pandora who says, Yes, absolutely. I've never seen a Woody Allen film, and I'm still alive. <laughs> what do you know? That's for our earlier conversation about Soon-Yi. Yeah, it's totally fine to not ever see a Woody Allen film. I thought I had never seen one, but then I realized I had seen Midnight in Paris, but I haven't seen like Annie Hall or any of the big ones. Yeah, I've never seen any of them, and at this point in my life, I would so much rather put my money behind uh, women directors or uh, you know LGBT directors, you know people of color who are directing movies. I will put my money into those movies, Forget this Woody Allen bullshit. Yeah, that's all you gotta say. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Now is my moment. Now Woo! is my moment. <laughs> Kristen Arnett. Nice wind up there. Thank you. I know I've slept really well if I wake up and my neck makes that sound like when you pour milk into a bowl of Rice Krispies. Like, why do you have to tweet this shit? Like, it's so gross to me. Like, I do not need that, like, sound and visual in my mind. I hate to say it, but this tweet spoke to me because no. me too. I'm like, ugh, you know, shout out to my chiropractor. Sorry, I just did a really whiny thing there, but it just really grosses me out. Okay, I'll do it delicately. <laughs> Rachel Jane Andelman. My favorite bone is the long one with the bumps at each end. Why mess with the classic? I don't know which one that is actually. That one bone. I never, All I the never, bones. I never took anatomy. That one bone. Yeah, I, I never know. took anatomy either. Yeah, I, I kind of went on the like uh, track of arts and humanities like from an early age. Mm. But all right, <laughs> it was a delay. Wow, wow! <laughs> I deserve it. I deserve it. I really, I, I wound that one up, and then I didn't get it. Do on not time. blame yourself. That was there. Oh, thank you. Wait, Dan, can I do that one more time? Dan is our sound guy. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Carrie Fountain. My daughter just asked me if there was running water when I was alive. What the fuck? I told her, no. Carrie, I'm called bullshit. Yeah, but I kind of love that uh, mess with your kids, you know? Just make it seem so much worse. I know. Back in the day. I know. I don't I have any kids, so that's just, that's just Well, actually, we'll, we'll all be able to say when I was your age, I didn't have like the internet and Instagram and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like I have more cut out for me there. Yeah. All right, that was harder. Nathan Jane, when I was a kid, I used to get excited whenever I got a letter addressed to me, but now every time I get one, I think, what the fuck have I done now? I actually love getting mail. I, you know, the only letters I get are like bills or things from 
maybe credit card companies. No, you got so, it. Yeah, you got so we start a card. When I get a letter, I'm like, uh oh. No, I have talked I on the show before about my love of sending cards to people, and I think some people threw some shade at me, like I was kind of dumb for liking cards. But it's a good way to set, to let people know that you're thinking of them. And now I get a lot of cards all the time because people want to reciprocate on the cards. So if you want mail, start sending people cards. All that's right. my that's my thought of the day. Kate Sidley. When I was in high school, one of the nuns would punish us for passing notes by assigning us additional years in purgatory. I can't wait to pass notes about it with my friends in purgatory. That's kind of a low-key great punishment, though, because it's like, okay, I'll take another year in purgatory, none. Well, look, I feel two ways about this. I'm Sorry, a Jew. am I going to hell now? I'm a Jew, so we don't believe in heaven and hell, so it's not my problem. But also, if I do go to hell, it's going to be a great time, and you'll want to pass notes with me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not Catholic, so I don't believe in nuns. <laughs> I don't know. Wrong demographic. I don't really believe that they exist. All right, ready for the tweet of the day? Yes, I'm very ready. So hot, so spicy. One time my brother tried to convince me the song Too Late to Apologize by One Republic was actually about a person called It's Too Late to Apologize. <laughs> I love That's this. That's really funny. It's so good. It's too late. It's too late. I can't even it's say too it. Late it's too apologize. late to apologize. Uh, yeah, I love, love that, like 2008, like driving in your car, you know, whatever. Uh, well, look, that song is going to be stuck in my head for the rest of the day. But up next, we're discussing a new book that dispels myths about female sexuality. Let's do it. It's too late. <laughs> Here's a tweet from Sudi Green. They should do a male reboot of The Scarlet Letter where some dude has to wear a A on his chest and gets high fives all day. Ain't that the truth? I'm joined now by Wednesday Martin, whose new book is called Untrue, Why Nearly Everything We Believe About Women, Lust, and Infidelity is Wrong, and How the New Science Can Set Us Free. Wednesday, thank you so much for coming Thanks on. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. So obviously, for any of the men out there who may not get that joke, you know, when men commit adultery, it's very much kind of like, hey, hey, but women are often very, you know, scandalized about this. So yes. what do you think mon monogamy and infidelity have to do with an overall conversation about feminism? Oh, I think they have everything to do with each other. Um, when you think about what infidelity is, when you take the judgment away, what is it really? It's sexual autonomy. It's someone, in this case a woman, saying, we might be married or I might be in a long-term committed partnership with you, but with my body I will do what I want. So when a woman refuses monogamy, I think it is very political. And I think it's also not just that it's about autonomy. Um, what happens as your uh, tweet that you read indicates is that the double standard is alive and well. And that's because when a man steps out, there will be a price to pay. Um, he will maybe get divorced, maybe be shamed, but no one will say to him, he's not a man. When a woman steps out, she's considered, among other things, kind of strange and off the grid and unfeminine, and we consider that it's unnatural. But the new science is showing us that that's untrue. So what drew you to this topic to write a book about female infidelity? Well, I'm a feminist, and I saw that this was a feminist issue. I saw that in places around the world where there are high rates of female labor force participation and high rates of 
female political participation. Um, there's often a higher degree of autonomy in general, including sexual autonomy. Um, but come on, sex is just interesting. I wanted to write about it. I love the women that people in this culture love to hate, women who are lightning rods. Um, I think that studying women that we judge and resent and are angry at can teach us a lot about ourselves. So let's talk about the science a little bit. You cite research that says 40% of women in 2013 are more likely to have cheated on their partners than in 1990. So obviously we're seeing a, lot, a rise, I guess, of female infidelity. Can you talk a little bit about the research there? That's a statistic that emerged and was written about a lot in 2013. And a lot of people wanted to understand why. But I think that people are surprised about it for a couple of reasons. First of all, what we've been taught, what the science has taught us, is now being peeled back and examined and in some cases overturned. We were taught for a long time that men just naturally had stronger sex drives, as we like to call them, or libidos, than women. What we're learning is that if we measure triggered or spontaneous desire, um, spontaneous desire is what men outmeasure women on, but if we measure triggered desire, women have just about equal libidos. The other thing is the science told us for many years that women had an easier time being monogamous. And as it turns out, there are a fair number of researchers now who say that if anything, the human female might have evolved for promiscuity. That might have been a great breeding strategy uh, for the human female for, for many years. So. Um, when that data emerged, people were surprised by it. Some people linked it to more women out in the labor force, you know, meeting people at work, having opportunities, and maybe if you have money, divorce doesn't seem like, ooh, that would be a catastrophe. It might seem more like a risk worth taking to have an affair and risk that you might blow things up if you have resources. Yeah, you talk about in the book about consensual non-monogamy. Yes, CNM. CNM. You cite Dan Savage, who says that gay people, gay men, gentrified consensual non-monogamy for straight people. Can you talk about that a little bit? Is this a growing trend? Among the 30 experts that I interviewed, a fair number of them were couples therapists or sex therapists. And they talked, uh, several of them, about how they didn't know that there was this term consensual non-monogamy until it really caught on, but they knew that there were people being openly and honestly, if you will, non-monogamous, and that a lot of them told me, well, I was treating gay male patients, and for a fair number of them, not all of them, we can't profile people, but for a fair number of these patients that they were seeing, playing, as they called it, on the side of a committed relationship uh, was a thing that was happening. So when Dan Savage coined the term monogamish, it was to describe something that's been going on uh, in gay male culture for quite some time. And it does seem that there is an uptick of interest in it um, among heterosexuals, too, among people regardless of their pronouns. Um, a study not long ago showed that there had been an increase in our searches, our Google searches for terms like polyamory and consensual non-monogamy. Although, to be clear, most Americans, if you put us to the test, will say that we disapprove of it. That's so interesting. But it doesn't mean we're not doing it. Yeah, I mean, your public uh, statement might be different than your private life, That's for sure. That's right, and women are doing it. We used to think that infidelity was naturally the purview of men. They benefited from being promiscuous and women didn't. Now we're seeing that in many instances, for example, among women 18 to 29, 
those women, ever married women 18 to 29, outpace their male peers in infidelity. They're cheating more. So full of surprises when you look at the data and the science. For sure. So we can't, I'd be remiss to talk about this topic without mentioning the Me Too movement. What do you think the impact will be or has been from the Me Too movement on how we discuss female sexuality in our culture? Mm, it's a really interesting question and I think it's a significant impact. I think that what I have a hard time understanding is people who frame Me Too as somehow shutting down uh, discussions of sexuality. What I see it doing is sort of decoupling what women want from male desire and saying we're not extensions of male desire, we have our own desires. We don't want you to do this, Me Too has said. Now Me Too has opened up the cultural space for women to talk about what they do want. And I think that it's opened up the space for the possibility of female-centered pleasure, female-centered sex. Um, men wouldn't need to be so scared of being taken down me too, by Me Too if the first question they asked was, um, how can I give you pleasure? Do you want me to give you pleasure or not, right? That would change things. And I think that Me Too is opening up the space for women to talk now about what they really want and for men to focus on female pleasure rather than just what men want. You'd think it was a simple concept, but it seems to be hard for especially men to wrap their heads around. Yes, and men who uh, read the data are probably actually going to be very excited to learn that the women in their lives are more sexual than they've been taught and that women struggle with monogamy just as much as men do. And that could actually lead to, I think, a lot of great conversations uh, for heterosexual couples, but for couples in general and for the country to have a talk about that. It's a fascinating conversation for sure, Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us. Untrue comes out tomorrow, September 18th. More AMCDM is up next. I'm Chantal Fallins and this is The Sit Down. I'm here with Emmy award-winning actor Lynn Whitfield and star of Netflix's new film, Napoli Ever After. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sitting next to an icon still. Uh, you know, getting, getting, settling down, coming from the sky. <laughs> How are you this morning? Oh, thank you, Icon. Wow, that's that's a big word. <laughs> you are indeed, indeed. I'm great. I'm great. Really happy to be back in Manhattan, and so happy to be over here at BuzzFeed. Yes, this we're is so like happy exciting. To have you. We we love this dress, by the way. I mean, oh, thank you. So beautiful. Oh, Diane von Furstenberg. I tell you, it's so colorful and oh, it's beautiful. Nice. On you. I love it. Oh, the it. circle straight because yes. if not, I look it's like perfect. I'm kind you can of off no center. You can do no wrong. It's a, okay. <laughs> I can do no wrong. Okay. <laughs> So in your new film, Napoli Ever After, yes. Sanaa Lathan's character is struggling with, you know, coming to terms with her hair and basically its value and she's kind of controlled by it. How have you, you know, in your life experience and can you compare your own hair journey with the, what she went through in the film? Oh my God, you, well, you know, a hair journey is a self-image mm -hmm. journey. Yeah. It's a self-love journey. It's a journey to self-acceptance, like, you know, liking you. And so if hair, has something to do with how much you love yourself, that's a problem. Yeah. I, we were, I was having a conversation this morning and someone said to me, well, you know, hair is like wardrobe. If it's just something that you adorn yourself and all of that, but it's always a quandary, you know? Yeah. What is the true you? What is the real you? How do you do it? And 
what gives you self-acceptance? Is it what you have on? Is it how your hair is? Or is it because you love you and your skin and you're comfortable within your Absolutely. own skin, you know? Yeah. So it's that kind of question. So when you were a little girl, what were some of the lessons that you had growing up about hair? Oh my God, well I grew up in Baton Rouge, mm, Louisiana. A southern girl. A real southern family. <laughs> and that is like my mother, okay, you can never have those kitchen mm -hmm. snappy, mm -hmm. right? And get those edges, edges straight. I just grew up, you know, don't get in the water, don't get in mm -hmm. humidity, your hair will fuzz up, and all of that. Yes. So it actually limited my physicality, yeah. you know, and my athleticism, because my mom was so into the shiny, <laughs> patent leather type hair, and if it was frizzy and if it wasn't that, then you didn't feel as good about yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's what Napoli Ever After is about, spelling yeah. a lot of that mythology and really getting down to some brass tacks of, of yeah, this is me, I hope you accept me. But my mom, mm. it was all about that curl, all about that Absolutely. shine. And it's just, in our community, of course, I think it's across the board culturally, but for African-American women, for black women, you know, what's happening with hair is, a lot about yeah. who we are. And now it's even more, I mean, with the weed this and the braid that. I mean, what's real? These beauty supplies. Yes, absolutely. So much money. So much money. So much. And speaking of dispelling that, Sonal Lathan actually cut her real hair for this role. She, what not was it only, like she on didn't set? just cut her hair for this role. Mm -hmm. She shaved her head yeah. on screen, oh. which is a whole different thing. And it was really yeah. on screen. Yeah. Um, and daring, so courageous. I think, you know, this might be some of her best work to date because you re when you take that on, like who am I as a woman, mm. and take that journey and share it with your audience and mirror that so that people can see themselves in it, you know? It's like um, you're offering up a chunk yes, of you. Absolutely. And she did that. Oh, so beautiful. And Speaking of hair, honey, this is <laughs> killing it. Thank I you so it. much. Thank you. I got a freshie made just for you. Yeah. That I'm interviewing an icon today. <laughs> Have to come correct if we're talking about hair. <laughs> and speaking of another one of your iconic roles, you play on one of my favorite shows. You play Lady May on Greenleaf's Owns Greenleaf. And when I tell you I am on the edge of my seat every <laughs> week, you are leaving us in suspense. So your character, Lady May, and Bishop, paid by the iconic Keith David himself. Yes. Um, you two are going through it this season. We are, you know, taking a look at, you know, mature relationships in jeopardy, you know, with a lot of outer pressure. And and it's it's been great building this character, this Southern woman, mm -hmm. this woman who has built a dynasty, yeah. you know, and this mega church, the mansion, mm -hmm. all of that, and all of her secrets. Yeah all of her obstacles, and at the same time, wanting to maintain control of this Greenleaf clan. I'm so excited. Mm. Oprah said she only saw me in this, in this part. Same. And really, <laughs> no one else can play it. But you know, to build a character like that, because I don't think we've seen her mm -hmm. in television, mm -hmm. uh, to date, you know, a woman like this. And uh, the whole cast, 
I think this is our best season. Got Kyla Bell, who was just on the, the most recent episode. What was it like filming with her? It's a, she plays my best I friend. I know, and when, when We've Been Blessed came on, I was like, oh my goodness, When You've Been Blessed. Such an iconic song. What was it like? What's it like on set? Is it, with her? It seems like you're our best friends in real life. I love her, of course. I've known her, known her music, loved her music, and known her through the years, but we just got to have fun. Mm -hmm. And they encouraged, you know, the the camaraderie part. Mm. So, so natural. You really, yeah, I think we really feel like real girlfriends, yes. you know? She, she's amazing. Oh, so and, amazing. And it's so great to see someone who's so iconic in music, who still keeps it fresh mm -hmm. and keeps it, and I mean, let me tell you, Patty, shows up on the set. I think she's already made up and ready for this show. <laughs> she comes in with her winter opera coats and everything. She's oh, I'm ready. Good morning. No, no, she comes in and she's always kind of a fluttered. What, what am I doing today? And what, what, what's the line? But she is so glamorous yes. and so ready. Meanwhile, you know, I'm in my sweat. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm in my hand and everything. And she is just, she comes in fly wow. every day <laughs> every day yeah, i love amazing her. i love her too and i yeah but we're having fun i i just find it such a blessing to be involved w in stories that are serviceable mm. to people because napoli ever after we as women need to appreciate ourselves whether our hair is good or not, whether our outfit is perfect yeah. or not. And I think people with green leaf need to see the human side of leadership yes. and church leadership. I mean, even look at what's going on with the Vatican oh, and yes. everything right now. Yeah. I mean, we need to question, you know, Christian leadership, church leadership, <laughs> governmental leadership, right now mm -hmm. especially so so the sh the shows i'm involved in now are serviceable to human beings and Absolutely. human condition and you're so and good at bringing so many important narratives to the forefront and speaking of that you have so many known passionate and stern roles and your iconic <laughs> eyebrow stare they're not all they're stern they're not all stern however they're passionate and amazing <laughs> and you're so known for just bringing your all you are a master class in acting and it's a, an honor to watch you in action so Aww. can you do me and the world a favor of giving us your iconic brow stare into that camera there I don't know what you're talking about. This one right here as well. And I don't know what you're talking about either. A master class. Absolutely an not. An icon. We love it. Icon? <laughs> Does that mean I'm mature? It <laughs> means so. When I say icon, it means someone who has established herself and you from, and I mean, keep it and, going. and you keep it going. I know. And from every film that you have done. You know what, but tell me something. People are so stern and all that. Like, do they forget that I was topless in bananas? <laughs> do they forget that I had everything flying? Absolutely. And line because all of a sudden now, it's like all this, you know, He's matriarchal thing and all that. I said, aren't there some women who are barren, who <laughs> are not attached <laughs> to anyone and still like, you know, keeping it going? And you can do any role. And speaking of the bananas, the Emmys are tonight, and you won an Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Special And she's so pretty, but story. she either needs a boyfriend oh. or a twin. <laughs>
Come on, Hollywood! Hollywood! <laughs> Who are you rooting for tonight? Is there anyone in particular? You know what? I am rooting for everybody who has the honor of being in the club, of being nominated, mm -hmm. of being a part of it, of being in the mix of it. You know, but you, I have to love my sorority sisters. Mm -hmm. You know, what has happened with Insecure and what Issa has, what Tracy Ellis Ross is doing. You know, we're flipping scripts. We're changing the narrative. We're coming from all kinds of unorthodox places, you know? Mm -hmm. Black awkward girl, awkward black girl now becoming, you know, insecure. Tracy Ellis Ross is just saying, you know, I am who I am and who I am is just okay. This is how I'm feeling this moment that moment down the mm -hmm. you know so it's just a great time to be a woman in this industry and I think it's an amazing time to be a black woman in this industry so I'm supporting my sorority sisters but absolutely everybody who gets up at 4 a.m. you know and comes in gets in that hair and makeup and goes and tells a story oh. you know people who are behind the camera writing those stories you know, because it's hard mm. hard work and it's the glamorous part is at the end sitting here I feel so glamorous with you and you're so good on our orange couch it's like fabulous I but I mean nobody mm -hmm. sees okay the scene is in the, the rain and you're yeah. raining mm -hmm. and it's raining hard and the bathrooms are really far away and you've got this much you know so many lines that you have to know today and nobody cares and they're trying to capture the frost on the glass and then you're acting through that and they got to get your tears too they, you Absolutely. know people don't you know really yeah. see that part mm -hmm. of it or if you're feeling as sick as a dog, uh -huh. but nobody cares. You, you know, you, it's yeah. not that they don't care, but you've got to get the work in that day. You, you have to get the work and in. Everybody and everybody nominated mm -hmm. to, tonight, that's what the real life is like. That's what the work is like, Absolutely. you know? And so I'm just so happy for them. I'm a little bit jealous that I'm not there. I don't know if you saw <laughs> Jennifer Lewis when the yes. Emmys came, she's like, yes. I'm the funniest. <laughs> Why am I not loving? So, no, I don't feel that way. You don't much. Well, you will be there time and time again because, again. like I said, you're an icon. Another. And Lynn Whitfield, yes. the icon herself, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure thank and honor to chat with me. you. Thank you for having me. Of course you can. I'm a hugger. Double kisses. Yes, yes, Okay, yes. friends. Napoli Ever After premieres on Netflix this Friday on September 21st. Support our icon. Oh, and support Sinan Lathan and all of it is so good. We love it. We love her. Up Mwah. next, we'll talk talk to you about the remake of A Star is Born. Stay tuned. Entertainment reporter Jake Hamilton tweeted, I don't often say this, but believe the hype behind A Star is Born. A familiar story delivered in a refreshing, raw, heartbreaking, and poetic way so that it feels fresh again. Cooper gives a career bus performance and Gaga is a revelation. I was a puddle after seeing it. Here to weigh in on if A Star is Born is actually worth the hype is Allison Wilmore, critic and culture writer at BuzzFeed News. Allison, thank you yes. so much for joining me. Oh, pleasure. Okay, so I have to admit, I'm a total novice on A Star is Born. I, have, I did not know it was a remake. Apparently, it's been remade many, many times. 
why do people just keep making this movie over and over again? <laughs> like every generation gets the star is born it deserves, I guess. I but guess, I this guess. This is the fourth one, actually. Wow. Yeah. It was remade uh, back just when like Technicolor was coming in with Jenna Gaynor. That was the first one. And then there was uh, Judy Garland, which is maybe the most famous one. Then Barbara Streisand in the 70s, which is like also very famously about Barbara Streisand. And now we have Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga doing a 2018 version. So why do people keep remaking this movie? What is it about the story? Well, I think it's a really like near and dear to Hollywood's heart kind of story. It is a story about this uh, unknown who's incredibly talented, and then she meets this big star, and of course they fall in love, and just as her career starts rising, his starts falling. So it is both this like swoony love story and also a tragic one. So this uh, version has been in the works for a really long time, right? Yeah. Uh, was there other people considered before Lady Gaga? Yeah, it's been in the works for like seven years at least. And the first version had Beyonce attached to star in it. Wow. Yes, with like Clint Eastwood directing, um, not starring in it, thankfully. But uh, yeah, that Beyonce was attached for a while, and then she wasn't, and then she came back, and then uh, it couldn't work out. So then this version kind of came together, and it's Lady Gaga's first big movie role. Yeah. So how is it, are they making this one different than the other ones, or is it like literally just the same movie over again? No, it's definitely very 2018. I think it's got a little bit of a Poptimus edge. Like she's, Instagram, yes. there's Instagram in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, like she, he's like a kind of uh, like a hard rocker, and he's like fading a bit, uh, and she's coming into her own to become a pop star with uh, big fashion moves, who's maybe a little Lady Gaga-esque. So they're definitely there's like a very current grounding for it that works. Okay, so I went to go see Crazy Rich Agents a few weeks ago, and they had the trailer for this before. I have to admit, I was like, that looks like the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so, like, what is it about it that, like, because I'm not dying to see it, but what is it about it? Like, is it her performance? I've heard she's great in it. Well, I think... I mean, I think part of it is, in that same way that Crazy Rich Asians has become a huge hit, I think that like a lot of people are really craving a big, swoony romance. And this is definitely that, but it's also a really well-made movie. You know, Bradley Cooper hey. is like a, is a good leading man, and Lady Gaga, yeah, really, I think, impresses in this role. And they're like great together. I think it is a genuinely romantic movie. I've seen people say she's gonna win the Oscar for Best Actress for this, which like- She'll get nominated, how about that? Think? Yes, you think? she will. It's gonna be like a really, really crowded field, but I think she will definitely get nominated. So like, what, what do you think that Bradley Cooper is like the new director? Like, is he, this is his directorial debut, right? Sure, yeah, I, he's got an eye, you know? I was definitely going in, you're like, mm, every time like someone who's mostly an actor gets into directing, you're like, this could go either way. But he's actually, he's got like a sensibility and he's also really good at working with actors, you know? I think he really, the whole movie is this kind of great act of appreciation for Lady Gaga. Interesting. I mean, I do, I do love Lady Gaga, so I, I guess I have a soft spot in my heart for her, but I don't know, I'm still a little skeptical. Yeah, I understand. I think that when it started off this movie, people were like, is this gonna be like cheesy good? And I thought it was gonna be like campy good. Right, and now people are like, it's legit good, and uh, I think maybe you have to see it to believe it, but. For people who have seen like every single iteration of this movie, are there things in it that you were surprised by? I mean, I assume you've seen the other ones, right? Yeah, I think that every, the, what's interesting about the story, and I think part of the reason reason we keep telling it is that there's always this kind of like level of other you're aware of the stories going on with the stars as well as the story in the movie and I think especially in the Barbara Streisand one that's kind of famous like it was like about her relationship uh, for real you know and I think in this case you're seeing this that's really about like 
the idea of like pop authenticity, you know, and Lady Gaga kind of being like, if I, it doesn't matter, like if I, if I wear, if I dress up and I have this image and all of that, it doesn't make me any less of a musician. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's got something there. That was my favorite era of hers, but okay. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate the sentiment. Okay, Allison, you might have swayed me. I don't know, are you guys gonna see a Star is Born? Let us know, it is out October 5th. Up next, we're gonna read your tweets. So excited! We did it. We did it. My we're first so show. We're so good at dancing. I know. I, every That's day what I have to watch the from guys the control room. Don't have <laughs> a little, a little bit of jazz. A little bit of that. <laughs> a little jazz hand. A little jazz hands. Yeah. Uh, I'm still not sold on uh, a Star Is Born. I almost called it. I, we were talking about during the break. It reminds me of that movie Country Strong with Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, I, I have not seen that movie. I'm not going to see it. Uh, honestly, yeah. Like when I saw the trailer and she was like, oh no, don't make me sing. I was like, really? Like this um, is going to win an Oscar? I don't believe it. Well, okay. So I saw the trailer and I was like laughing because I was like, this is this the so hokiest, tackiest thing. There's no way I'm going to see this movie. It just, and then especially because it's like this man who's showing her her talent and yeah, says that she's I don't beautiful. Like that either. And I was like, I'm good, thanks. But now all of the uh, reviews say that it's really good. I know. I'm so confused. I don't know. I, I, I'll probably get dragged to go see it. <laughs> All right. Well, at the beginning of the show, I'm not letting you off the hook, Alex. We had you play two truths and a lie. Da, da, da. The audience thinks. <laughs> they think your love of peanut butter is your lie. So, mm. Alex, what is the truth? The audience is incorrect. I actually do love peanut butter. I am not from, yeah, I am not from Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. I'm a born and raised Philadelphian. Philadelphia will always have my heart. That will always be my number one home, even though I live in Brooklyn now. So uh, forget it, peanut butter. Also, why do people hate peanut butter? What did peanut butter ever do to you? See, I feel like people, I feel like people were just like convinced maybe that you're from Brooklyn. I mean, I, I guess that's a good and thing. And I feel but like we, a lot of us do know that you do roller derby, which is badass. That's also, way. thank you. That's also true. I did realize that I left that in my Twitter bio. So I kind of, that was a freebie. I gave up that spot. But all of us who know and love you know that you're from Philly. That's like kind of your thing. Thank you. So it, is my thing. it was a little obvious, although I was kind of like, maybe I was like honestly thinking to myself, like maybe she moved to Philly in high school and this is like a trick question. So I was a little confused as well. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I feel talented. I feel I have mastered two truths and a lie. Well, let's get to some of your other tweets. We asked you for your thoughts on Fenty Furniture. Allie B says, if it comes with built-in speakers for the new album, yes. Oh, hell yes, I would love that. I'll be sitting on my Fenty couch, I'll push a button, and the speakers will come on. Fenty music will start playing. I love the idea of a Fenty table, like a nice accent table. I can already see it in my apartment with like, I, I don't know, I feel like it could work. I feel like it could work. I'm here for it. Yeah, well, Rachel Hey Girlfield had this to say about Woody Allen's work. Instead of Woody Allen, you can watch films by Ingmar Bergman because he basically tried to rip off his work. That's good to know. I, I know nothing about the history of film, but I mean, that's good to know, right? Well, you know, it's good to know, but I said earlier, I am here to spend my money and my energy actually on woman directors and other folks who are behind the camera. Uh, people like Ava DuVernay or Dee Reese or Greta Gerwig, Patty Jenkins. We recently had uh, Reed Morano on the show. And there are so many amazing women who are behind the camera now. Woody Allen, you're trash. I do not need to spend my time or money on your movies. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we just have so many other options. We don't really need to, you know, spend our time with people who may not be good people. I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, listen, thank you to our guests, Lynn Whitfield, Paul McLeod, Dan Fergano, Wednesday Martin, Chantal Follins, and Allison Wilmore. We'll see you back here tomorrow. It's me and Alex again. We'll be back. More dancing for you. More truths, more lies. Maybe I'll play tomorrow. I'll go eat a peanut butter Maybe sandwich. Maybe I'll play tomorrow. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Thank you, Jeff.